I'm Daniel Bass, manager of the South Asia program at Cornell University. And I'm Shravin Senevaratner, graduate student in architecture at Cornell and student worker at South Asia program. You're listening to the Next Monsoon podcast, where we examine how art and culture can help us navigate the uncertain future. This podcast is part of a bigger project in the South Asia program at Cornell University. We'll be interviewing scholars from around the world to help us understand how people and artists face climate change. In this episode, we look at how architecture can help us design a new understanding of climate change and its crisis. Rupali Gupte is an architect and urbanist based in Mumbai. She is the co-founder of and professor at the School of Environment and Architecture. She is also a partner at Bard Studio. Her work focuses on housing and urban forms, tactical spatial practices, and the role of gender in shaping habitation in contemporary South Asian architecture and urbanism. Welcome to the show, Rupali. Thank you. What do you first think of when you hear the word monsoon? So if, if you really kind of look at what this project is doing um, and the whole idea of, of new monsoon, um, I think what is most important is thinking of, of new monsoon from the dimensions of cultural change, no? the, the cultural dimensions of, of climate change, because the debate of, on climate change is everywhere. However, this debate is is today uh, followed from the idea of uh, a, a technocratic lens. And when we think of new monsoon, for me, this idea of, of embedding oneself into contemporary culture is something that comes to my mind. How do you think a cultural response can provide a different understanding than typical scientific analysis? Yeah, yeah. So I think what is important to understand is that um, the, the debate on climate change has a longer history. You know, it's sort of located in, in, a, in a larger environmental discussion that started at the turn of the last century. In the early 1900s, the idea of pollution related to issues of health started dominating uh, questions of planning and city governance activities. In the mid-century, 60s and 70s, one sees a shift uh, in terms of a, a response to massive deforestations. People are in some ways protesting against land grabs and, and, and a loss of resources. It's later in the 80s and 90s that you start seeing a push towards reduction mm-hmm. of greenhouse gases. In the 2000s, debate has now shifted over to industries who are producing greener technologies. So in 50 years, you've seen this kind of almost insidious transformation. And how do you sort of shift that uh, register um, yeah, it becomes really important. So I think that kind of, you know, just locating oneself in that kind of historical uh, shift becomes extremely important for us. So what are some examples of those shifts that you've seen in India? We have couched all our debates into climate change, um, uh, you know, into the argument of climate change, but things have historically kept moving, right? And mm-hmm. cultures have adapted themselves to Changes. So I'll just to kind of give you an example, uh, maybe not from India, but from South Asia. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the question of, of um, uh, the word bona, you know, the idea of flood. Floods mm-hmm. were really an important thing. The eight monthly dikes that people built, actually after eight months, you breach them yourself. It was important that your land flooded, it was inundated, it got fertile. And, mm-hmm. and then people would build those, those bunds back. 
it's only through colonial practices where property becomes important you know mm-hmm. that it's you you cannot have your land flood now anymore right and so you have embankments you have you know roads built on embankments mm-hmm. whereas you you were actually working with environmental flows you know questions of permanence comes in whereas we you know you kind of worked with the idea of flux um in in terms of thinking of inhabitation mm-hmm. so what does it then mean to you know rethink some of our these logics because today that and and this is very saying you know like the idea of um green washing becomes mm-hmm. extremely important and that green washing comes from certain uh, ways that that industries are, are kind of forcing us to think of uh, a kind of consumptive logic of of the environment versus a kind of logic of environment where inhabitation life cycles life forces become an important way of thinking so how is your view on climate change been informed by your background and practice as an architect and urbanist i can just go to uh, a, a recent text that i was actually reviewing it's called the grammars of the urban ground by ashamin and nikeli lancioni in some ways it you know speaks of this need for new lexicons you know and mm-hmm. as an urbanist i think that is extremely important this the new vocabularies that we build vocabularies are maps of life worlds of knowledge including their hierarchies so what are these and again another important argument that that book makes is um that instead of locating oneself in abstract stru- structural logics um you have one year to the ground you know mm-hmm. and you locate yourself in the messy logics of um of, of urban entanglements what does it mean to think of in inhabitation who are we speaking of when we speak of um climate change you know mm-hmm. um who has the privilege what is the biography of of people um uh, whom we speak of you know and again in broad brush arguments we we forget to speak of particular biographies of inhabitants and and mm-hmm. they say uh, you know very clearly that there are several arguments of the environment have actually caused evictions of the poor you know mm-hmm. in the name of environment but i think there is a potential you know as opposed to to planning you know that sort of works in again has i mean the the whole disciplinary logic itself is to work with uh, larger structures architecture has the potential of working at a different grain you know and so does art like art is able to completely help you reconceptualize uh, things as an architecture has the potential to to think at a different grain you know at at the grain of the inhabitant at the at the, at the grain of the body um and its own location within environment and so there's a huge potential for architects to you know to work and at a level one where one is really kind of able to think uh through these kind of you know messy logics but really kind of embedded logics so how does the school of environment and architecture incorporate those concerns into your teaching pedagogy i think it happens at every level the third year there's a specialization uh mm-hmm. so to say where we focus on questions of the environment you learn to audit things you know so there's a kind of retooling but the idea is to kind of build a sensibility into forms of living how do you even design your life uh from these concerns what does it mm-hmm. mean to think of questions of care as a way of life and living 
So I think that sort of starts, you know, happening right from the first year all the way to the fifth year, where somebody would take up a thesis and you know ask mm-hmm. uh, new questions from from the environment, um, you know, of the environment. You were mentioning about the environmental goals at sea. How has this、um, influenced the way that you approach with your clients、mm-hmm. and how you share with them this mode of thinking? Right. So the the kind of practice that we've also built for ourselves over the last you know twenty years maybe、mm-hmm. um, it has also been exactly what I spoke about. You know, so we don't have a patron dependent, client dependent practice. It's a it's a multidisciplinary practice. That sort of you know it it kind of straddles between art, architecture, urban studies. So a lot of the projects actually come from、um, you know all kinds of provocations. Several of them come from art funding,、um, mm-hmm. but several also would come from you know、uh, mobilizing other partnerships with NGOs and other things. So in that sense, kind of also building this sort of. Uh, a kind of practice that is embedded in the entanglements that I was speaking about. So, is there any difficulty in communicating across those different、uh, groups that you're entangled with? Of course, you are <laughs> always because entanglements are messy. Yeah. Right. They're not straightforward. There's a whole kind of politics involved in it, and then that's where the role of the architect is also interesting. That you know that you locate yourself in the messy logic. You're not、mm-hmm. located up there at a, at a different vantage point, but you sort of embed yourself within things. Right. What might be an example of a project where you were in the middle of that mess and you figured out a way out? <laughs> Um, so I mean I wouldn't say figured out the way out. You just kind of you know went with the flows, right? Like for, so, for example, this exact project that I you know we were speaking about, right? Like the community space that we repaired.、Um, there was this、uh, space at the back, which was you know this kind of setback space that we saw and said, oh, fantastic! You know this can become a garden. It was a garbage dump. People would throw garbage from their houses, and you know it was a complete garbage dump. And we said, oh, you know, we'll get the community together and we'll clean this up and we'll make this into a garden. And, and it was impossible, you know, to do that because it, you kind of you're working with those logs. People didn't want to clean it up, right?、Mm-hmm. So, so then you said, you know, you know, it's okay. Slowly, it was you know excruciatingly slow process.、Mm-hmm. It's different from the way we had imagined it, you know. But it's working, and it's kind of you know it's it's incrementally growing, and it will change tomorrow, and that's fine. But the question is, you know, how do you sort of plant a seed within it? It's a much nicer place. It's almost like a living room for people,、mm-hmm. right? Like after school, you have kids coming to the place, spending time there, and they've made it their own place. It's not been easy. Yeah. Sometimes you find like. Like a local church would call and say, you know, can we can we use that space? It's like, you know, it's fine. Okay,、mm-hmm. use it. And then suddenly you say this beautifully painted white space is, you know, blue in color.、Mm. <laughs> so you have this blue paint that has kind of taken over the whole place. And but that's fine. It's、yeah. fine because that's the kind of aesthetic of the mess that you know that has worked it, itself out. And 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 then we said, you know, it 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 doesn't work because that blue paint is, you know, it's it's messing up. It, it's bringing less light into that place.、Mm. So the next time they painted it, they brought it back to the, you know, the white paint that、yeah. you know changed the light quality in that place. 
so I, i think this is exactly what like the whole working out of things right like working mm-hmm. out with the messiness is something that one has to learn to deal with You were recently part of the Dhaka Art Summit in Bangladesh. What were you yeah. showing there? So we were, so like I said, uh, you know, we have one foot in the art space. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were invited to the Dhaka Art Summit. Um, in, so there were two. One was the larger theme that um, Diana Campbell, who was the uh, curator of the, uh, the Art Summit, um, she sort of had this provocation of actually the Bona. the flood and so we she had invited us to bring one of our works that we had uh, presented earlier at the uh, museum of contemporary art at barcelona uh, which was called the belly of the strange um, and it was um, uh, there it was basically a kind of invitation by rux media collective at at barcelona the provocation that they had given us there was to look at strange books that children read you know <laughs> books that children don't find strange because they've not been socialized into a kind of uh, space of rationality mm-hmm. so rux media collective in at makba were inviting us to make a transactional space for these strange books so we built this kind of real big kind of bulbous space uh, in the middle of richard meyer's kind of white cube which was in some ways you know polluting that space it was this kind of you know bulbous space that sort of wrapped around a, a wall uh, it was this kind of space of of the imagination uh, for the child but also the the kind of child in the adult um so when akanksha was sort of inviting us to um to dhaka at summit she wanted us to build the next version of the belly of the strange but now to respond to the idea of uh, very small feelings also the idea of bona so we built this space now in, in at the dhaka art summit which was also the next belly um which was now this kind of longer space it was on many legs um the strange creature like space mm-hmm. uh, also because of the bona it was sort of lifted up above the ground um and it was the space um for now um also strange books but now these books were made by um artists along with indigenous communities um that brought in their own life worlds you know mm. so worlds of forest and worlds of various kinds of environments that you inhabited um and told stories of so those were the spaces that were in in the belly um and then in it through the dark art summit there were performances that happened there were all kinds of people who were invited to read the books but also engage with them perform you know do all kinds of things so yeah. so the space was then also an open script over the last you know over the it's it's a short time it's only 11 days but the number of people who actually visit i was told there were 55000 people a day visiting visiting the space wow. so it's this it's a really really public space there were these students who come from schools and mm-hmm. you know all kinds of places So how did the reception of this artwork differ in Dhaka versus when you showed it at the Venice Biennale or the Barcelona Museum of Contemporary Art? There's such different settings. Right. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. 
um so so venice was the first provocation right and that was um i mean this was it was not the belly it was the transactional objects there in 2015 but it was curated by oquian bazaar um and it was a super important uh, provocation uh, it was called um of all the world's futures so for us it was to kind of look at bringing in an idea of the future uh which was not a kind of modernist future out there but again like we said you know speaking from south asia what would it mean to think of a future that is incremental a future that is built from a speculation of what the next step that these transactional objects transactional spaces could take because these are constantly transforming so it was kind of a a thought experiment um in in a kind of form which was sort of a cross between art and architecture for us um and it that the provocation was an important thing for us to make um that was at venice in in barcelona it became more concrete as a space uh, that one could inhabit but also kind of then you know basically kind of uh, completely uh, bringing in you know changing that white cube box so bringing in making it softer you know so all kinds of people imagine you know also um uh, engage with the place in mm-hmm. barcelona um it it sort of like we said you know it was for the child but also the child in you so you could see people engaging with those you know and people brought in their own associations because <laughs> suddenly this whole sort of bulbous belly that was it that you would see people saying oh this reminds me of you know um you know a fruit that i ate when i was a child somebody says it reminds me of this cartoon character that was really kind of special to me and mm-hmm. it sort of brought in you know series of associations um and so in some ways also kind of brought in a completely different um uh, you know imaginative engagement in the place and then when it comes to dhaka is just a sheer number of people you know that flooded the place it was it was amazing when we were building it of course you know it's a different completely different setting um you saw those people outside <laughs> so just outside the dhaka art summit there was this fair going on and you saw like the number of people who visited mm-hmm. it and we were like oh my god you know when the date opens this is the number of people who are going to <laughs> you know be in the belly Mm-hmm. they're going to inhabit the belly and it i mean and it was also i mean again i i i forget to mention this this detail which is super important that when it came to dhaka it was also about how you made it you know because in in barcelona it was made um, you know by contractors who were actually you know a team that had also done some work for zahadid so they you know they kind of figured out the curves and you know they built it with it was built with plywood and bench ply and all of that in dhaka we worked with the local artisans who you know were really adept in working with bamboo uh, mm. so it was a bamboo structure and it was a paper mache structure paper mache is also a tradition in in bangladesh where you have the fine art students making these huge sculptures of paper mache and they kind of create this carnival in spring they walk mm. around with it of course you don't inhabit it this time they were also inhabiting it so the fine arts students actually worked for four or five days actually making that space with paper mache there so what was interesting is just this kind of sure uh, you know cultural change uh, in in you know 
working with certain kinds of people mm-hmm. engaging with certain kinds of people there so yeah it was it was a great experience what you were mentioning about the artisans that you worked with it reminds me of also the pandals that are built in india yes because yeah. they're specialized in bamboo construction and then you mentioned paper mache and it's it's yeah. like using limited very cheap construction resource to make something just spectacular absolutely absolutely it's it was fantastic just seeing them work you know like really sort of we so like i said it was the second trip the first trip um we went to various places we kind of you know there was part of our field work also but we also took a small model it was a maquette um, and we showed it so it was a, it was made with paper mache um and we took it to one of the carpenters who worked there in this place called Shilpakala for 30 years that's where the summit was going to be um and he saw the model and he says of course it's easy you know it's like <laughs> this kind of strange bulbous space and they like you know of course i can do it <laughs> there's no question about it and then it sort wow. of gave you the confidence you know it's like okay mm-hmm. you know i i know this will get done Yeah. So it was really amazing. That smile, I I can't still forget that smile on his face when he saw that model. <laughs> so how do you balance the world of architecture and the art world? How do those two of those interact and interface? I think they are completely enmeshed. One without the other would be impossible. Mm-hmm. Um because I think what the art space does is sort of, you know, allows you to open up several kind of you know provocations mm-hmm. ways of thinking um sometimes in the architecture space you tend to uh you know work with normative mm-hmm. tools because there are certain precedents that you work with and mm-hmm. then you know you keep following them and there's certain ways of doing things you know like venice was the first provocation it was not the belly it was the transactional objects there in 2015 that it was curated by okwi enviser um and it was a super important uh, provocation uh, it was called um of all the world's futures so for us it was to kind of look at bringing in an idea of the future uh which was not a kind of modernist future out there but again like we said you know speaking from south asia what would it mean to think of a future that is incremental a future that is built from a speculation of what the next step that these transactional objects transactional spaces could take because these are constantly transforming so it was kind of a a thought experiment um in in a kind of form which was sort of a cross between art and architecture for us i think the art space sort of mm. completely helps you rethink and and question things anew and i think that's what is really really important how how the art space is able to bring in new provocations to the practice and i think the architectural space is something that sort of helps you embed because you're embedded into you know material practices cultural practices in in a lot more you know mm. fine grained ways um so i think that those are really kind of they both sort of you know speak to each other they feed each other um and i think that's something that we bring to our, our pedagogical practice as well mm-hmm. you know like we, we sort of when we teach we kind of bring in these questions of provocations um we also uh, a couple of years ago curated uh, an architecture exhibition at um, at a at an important space which is called the jawahar kala kendra 
um and it was a building that was designed by um charles kuria another very important architect uh, from india um and it was in the city of jaipur which is also a very interesting city that was set up by um this um, the city builder savai jai singh a uh, completely different city building principle that mm-hmm. was uh, located on a grid but he was also kind of reworking some of the um, environmental infrastructures water systems and other things in that place and so we worked with both you know the design principles of kuria who was completely he he questioned mm. ar- architectural type you know like when you were, he was given a project like a mall he would completely rethink the big box type and mm-hmm. and make it into a bazaar you know where people could come and and sort of you know mm-hmm. participate in this kind of the event of the bazaar so so we worked with the design principles of korea and the principles of 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 savai jai singh city planning and we invited um artists and architects uh, in a provocation where the you know the whole the title of the of, of the exhibition was called when a space you know um or mm. when the space get produced um so again the kind of lefevrin idea that space is not a given mm-hmm. entity it's a produced entity um so it was a provocation again that sort of came from our engagements with art but also sort of inviting uh, both architects and artists mm-hmm. as spatial practitioners to then respond to these provocations there were people who were making pavilions there were people who were you know bringing their own practices in conversation with other practices with all of this in mind what are the goals and the outcomes for this project so i think again what thing what is interesting for me is um the kinds of people who are engaged in this and the group that we brought i mean the kind of group that i i've also sort of um put together because we have smaller groups within it is certain you know people who are interested in the idea of the everyday you know um and i think that is a debate that i would like to bring in you know the questions of what does it mean to think of new monsoon from the questions of the everyday from the questions of um you know the entanglements um and i and i think what would be nice is to kind of see how uh the these pers- this perspective sort of you know um then comes together mm-hmm. with the other three perspectives um i mean i don't know where it will go today uh but just sort of revisiting some of those i think the conference itself will be an interesting place where <clears throat> we're able to bring these multiple uh ways of thinking together and hopefully mm-hmm. the book that we put together will you know bring in a, a, a you know new way of looking at at climate change of questions of the environment which i think is very important today um and i think there are lots of people who are working with this but like lots of scholars who are working with these questions um but i think the perspectives that we i mean i hope the perspectives that we bring in uh would you mm-hmm. know add to those debates what is one sign of hope about climate change in south asia okay <laughs> i think this would be i think what is really important for me is to think of the questions of environment from questions of justice you know what does it mean to think of environmental justice um and particularly because we have uh you know people who are thinking of the, of 
of questions of environmental justice from various disciplines, from the disciplines of art, from architecture, uh, from urban scholars. The idea would be also to extend that to think of spatial justice. You know, what are what are questions of of you know new ways of looking at spatial ecologies that bring in this question of environmental justice. I think for me that is that is really really important. Um, and I hope that that is a discussion that we will be able to build and, and you know, add to in the future. That's it for today's episode on the next month's Zoo. Next time, we'll be talking to Jason Kahn for an anthropological perspective on climate frontiers, borders, deltas, and development in Bangladesh. We would like to give special thanks to Sam Lubowitz and Angelica Kramer at Cornell's Language Resource Center for their assistance with recording this podcast. Shivin Senvaratna not only co-hosts this podcast, but is also our editor. Funding for the podcast and the entire Next Monsoon project comes from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please follow the South Asia program on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SAP Cornell. You've been listening to music by SAP Administrator Gloria Lemus-Chavez and her partner Brandon Kane. Make sure to check out more of their work in the show notes. The ideas and opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Cornell's Office of the Vice Provost for International Affairs, or any other official entity of Cornell University. I'm Daniel Bass. And I'm Shavin Sinavratna. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode for new conversations and stories on the next monsoon.